Hi, welcome to the On Your Marks book review podcast with me, Jonathan Marks. This week's book, A Life on Our Planet, by renowned naturalist David Attenborough, was a quick substitution when I realized that the Attenborough book that I'd bought earlier in the year for my 52 books project was in fact the correct volume. You'll forgive the mistake in the substitution. He has written over 30 books across his career and many of them sound the same. However, this most recent book, written at age 94, is, as the subtitle says, his witness statement and vision for the future. Without planning things as such, the book followed really nicely from Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, which I reviewed in July. The 60 years that spans these two books, Carson's book written in 1962 and this book written and published in 2021, has sadly yielded very little further understanding of or appreciation for the environmental catastrophe that now confronts us all. For me, this often feels so abstract, and while I think I know and understand some of what has occurred and may still yet confront us in the future, Attenborough's book really framed this issue for me. The book is quick to read, incredibly interesting, arresting even, in how he so beautifully and eloquently explains the incredible potentiality and diversity in our world, and how we have in the shortest time imaginable destroyed so much. The saddest part for me is, as he says towards the end of the book, and I quote, We often talk about saving the planet, but the truth is we must do these things to save ourselves. With or without us, the wild will return. End quote. Attenborough is probably about as well known as William Shakespeare. Few people would not have heard his beautiful descriptions of the wild parts of our planet, flora and fauna. His eloquence and ability to make simple that which is complex is usually so good you don't even need the video to accompany his descriptions. What follows now is a little clip from a wonderful video called The Fascinating Life Cycle of Desert Plants, and I think it makes my point so beautifully. Some desert plants that live in exceptionally hot, dry conditions take even more drastic measures. Leaves are very thin and have a large surface area, so they lose a lot of moisture in heat, and many desert plants have done without them altogether. Instead, the valuable green pigment develops in the stems, and desert stems are often very thick and swollen, and that enables a plant to store water in them. Not only that, but some desert plants have pleats in these stems, so that when there is a sudden rainstorm, those ridges can suck up all the moisture while it's there and expand in order to hold it. In looking for an interesting clip to share in this podcast, I also came across the following one, a very funny Attenborough parody called Clubbing in the Wild. Have a listen. 30 minutes north of Auckland lies an area known as Riverhead Forest. Here, three females have travelled to a mating ground known as a nightclub. These females have engaged in an act found only in the human kind. Clubbing. They've caught the attention of three males whom are ready to mate. Males approach in the most seductive way they know how. And with that, the mating ritual begins. It's truly a wondrous sight. 
their first objective is to search for an opening. However, this proves difficult as the females keep a tight proximity. They retreat to a safe distance to reassess the situation. Egged on by the others, the youngest of the three males makes the first move. Young and hopeful, he moves in to strike. However, youth and inexperience play against the youngling. He attempts to connect with them from afar, relying on making eye contact. He gets nothing back for his efforts. The youngling is frightened and out of his element. He retreats back to the other males. The second youngest preps to make his approach. has selected a mate. According to the alpha male, if a male can make physical contact with a female, intercourse is assured. He's gone for it. However, in no way has she reciprocated the gesture, causing the male much concern. He has to act. The male retreats defeated. Any hope the males now have lies with the alpha male. And who could possibly turn this stud down? His confidence is palpable. The females not being aroused by this is simply unimaginable. They do, however, tighten their circle, a clear test. One the males must overcome. Disaster. Even the alpha male has been denied by the females. The males desperately attempt to cover up their defeat. Embarrassed, ashamed, still ridiculously horny, the males retreat to another club. Because, you know, this one was shit anyways. I think this is absolutely hilarious and definitely worth a watch, and I've included the link in the podcast show notes. As one of the comments on YouTube says, and I quote again, this is really not any weirder than those exotic birds dancing, end quote. But back to the more serious nature of this book. Attenborough was born in Leicester in the UK in 1926 and seemed to have stumbled into life as a naturalist. In the book, he tracks parts of his life against the changing nature of our planet, At age 11, he developed a fascination with the outdoors, cycling around the county in which he lived, looking for rocks and fossils. He tracks these three metrics as follows across the book and his lifespan. Population, 
carbon in the atmosphere, and the remaining wilderness on Earth. In 1937, the population was 2.3 billion, carbon was 280 parts per million, and there was 66% remaining wilderness. He would seem to intimate in the early part of the book that, despite us living through a very stable period in Earth's long history, with temperature not fluctuating much more than a degree either way, we are the absolute masters of our own destruction. We may yet well be facing another period of mass extinction, something that has occurred five times before. In each case in the past, nature has collapsed and left just enough survivors to start the process again. Much of the book is in support of this thesis, with deep insights as to why this has occurred and what we can still do to arrest this unimaginable reality. By 1954, the world population was 2.7 billion, carbon parts per million up to 310, and the remaining wilderness down to 64%. By now, Attenborough had studied natural sciences at university and then joined the BBC, at the time a very basic black-and-white TV service with only one channel. As a producer of non-fiction, he specialised in natural history and partnered with the London Zoo to showcase animals on TV. He had this to say in the book, and I quote again, The animals were placed on a table covered by a doormat and usually handled by one of the zoo's experts, but that made them look like freaks or oddities. I yearned to let viewers see them in their proper surroundings, and eventually worked out a way that I might make that happen, end quote. He accompanied the zoo's director, Jack Lester, to Sierra Leone, on the west coast of Africa, on the understanding that they would film the animals in the wild, and then whatever was brought back to the London Zoo would also be showcased by Lester in the BBC studio, making the link between nature and the zoo. Sadly, the director fell ill, fatally as it turned out, and Attenborough had to step in front of the camera at the absolute last minute to host the BBC show Zoo Quest, and so began his amazing career as a naturalist, TV personality and author. In 1968, the NASA expedition to the moon gave the world those haunting images of Earth from space. The world population had grown to 3.5 billion, carbon in the atmosphere was up to 323 parts per million, and remaining wilderness down to 59%. Bill Anders, one of the astronauts on the Apollo 8 mission, had this to say about those iconic pictures of Earth, and I quote, We came all this way to explore the moon, and the most important thing we in fact discovered was the Earth. End quote. Twenty years later, the population of the world had grown to just over 5 billion, and the remaining wilderness had dropped by 10% to 49%. Carbon trapped in the atmosphere by greenhouse gases was now up to 353 parts per million. Attenborough's Life on Earth series had been his focus over the previous three years, watched by almost half a billion people around the world. His own growing understanding of humanity and our relationship to Earth led him to say this from the book. And I quote, I did not want to suggest that humanity was in some way separate from the rest of the animal kingdom. We do not have a special place. We are no preordained or final pinnacle of evolution. We are just another species in the tree of life. Nonetheless, we have broken free from many of the constraints that affect all other species. End quote. And so the book continues. Attenborough truly does offer testimony and witness to how man has destroyed so much of earth in the name of progress and development, for profit and often just as a result of absolute ignorance. 
By 2020, the world population was at 7.8 billion, and only 35% of wilderness remained on Earth. In one man's lifetime, we have seen the wilderness almost halve. Our impact on Earth is blind and yet global in impact. Plastic debris is found everywhere, especially in the ocean. Our rivers, as Rachel Carson exposed in the 1950s, are filled with pesticides, fertilizers, and industrial chemicals. Rainforests have been reduced by half, with over 15 million trees cut down each year. Much of the land used to grow feed for the animals we eat. 70% of birds on Earth are domesticated, the majority being chickens. Globally, we eat 50 billion of them a year. And as Attenborough says in the book, and I quote, even more startling is the fact that 96% of the mass of mammals on Earth is made up of our bodies and those of the animals we raise to eat. Our own mass accounts for one-third of the total. Our domestic animals, chiefly cows, pigs and sheep, make up just over 60%. The remainder, all the wild mammals, from mice to elephants and whales, accounts for just 4%. End quote. The section titled What Lies Ahead sets out a dystopian roadmap to our own demise. Left unchecked, we will exhaust all our resources and destroy our home. By 2100, we will face the largest humanitarian crisis of our time, and the sixth mass extinction will be unstoppable. Our action now will be the only thing to change our future. The decisions we make today, right now, impact our lives and that of future generations. This is a mere 77 years away. The final chapter of the book sets out his vision for the future, how to rewild our world. It's actually not that complex, but it does require change, and change, of course, is hard. It requires us all to act and to make small changes to save what is left and rebuild what we have destroyed. As our world industrialized, we moved, as Attenborough said, from being a part of nature to being apart from nature. Our work now is to restore that balance, the balance we have destroyed. Climate change and the impact on our world is also a social issue, an issue of social justice. Those nations who are most responsible for where we find ourselves are in many ways the most protected from the impact. And those of us living in the developing world have contributed the least and yet feel its impact the most. He concludes the book by saying, and I quote, we can yet make amends, we can manage our impact, change the direction of our development, and once again become a species in harmony with nature. All we require is the will. The next few decades represent a final opportunity to build a stable home for ourselves and restore the rich, healthy and wonderful world that we inherited from our distant ancestors. Our future on the planet, the only place we know where life of any kind exists, is at stake. End quote. The book ends with the transcript of his opening address at the COP26 conference held in 2021. This is a powerful plea to world leaders, and I've included the link to the speech in the show notes below. This week there's no infographic. The subject of this book is just too important to engage with at a distance. Instead, I invite you to take action, to take action now. Please follow the link in the email to the UN hashtag ActNow campaign and see 10 simple actions that you can take to start making a difference to our planet. I return next week for my penultimate review of the year, Jordan Peterson's two books, 12 Rules for Life and Beyond Order. So please do look out for those next Tuesday. 
For those celebrating Christmas, I wish you and your family a peaceful, restful and reflective time together. I hope you have an absolutely wonderful week ahead.